One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, What the f? Are you talking about you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 upfront for 3 months plus taxes and fees, promo rate for new customers for a limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello. I'm Joe Holland. Welcome to the Progressive Britain podcast. In August, Abno Pongasari, Labour MP for Erythin Thamesmead, and as of this month, shadow its Czechist secretary to the Treasury, produced the report assessing the impact of COVID on people who fall under protected characteristics in her constituency. The report concludes that discrimination and long-standing structures of racial inequality have contributed to BAME people facing a disproportionate impact of the pandemic that disabled people have suffered disproportionately from the measures put in place in response to the pandemic, that women are more likely to be impacted by the financial implications of the crisis and by a rise in domestic violence, that those with a low socioeconomic status are far more likely to face risks relating to COVID-19 as a result of that status, and that school closures have widened the attainment gap as well as negatively contributing to mental health issues amongst young people. The report also concludes that many of these inequalities that have been exacerbated by the COVID-19 pandemic existed due to the austerity agenda and the cuts implemented in the public sector by the Conservative government over the last 10 years. Last week, Abner spoke to Welsh Minister for Health and Social Services Vaughan Gething as part of a Labour BAME network event on the impact of COVID on black and minority communities. Their discussion also covered the issue of minority representation in politics, the need for stronger financial support so local solutions to the crisis can be pursued, and other exacerbating factors of the pandemic that have increased inequality. It's a really important conversation and I hope you get as much from it as I did. And listen to the end to hear Vaughan speak briefly about his inspiring personal journey. Here's their conversation. I'm, I'm interested. You've done this report um, focusing locally, and obviously I've looked at issues here in Wales. And I'm interested in how you decided not just to go about this report, but then some of the initial findings uh, and what and what you think that's meant in terms of questions for policy just during the pandemic first, and perhaps we can move on to uh, questions for after the pandemic as well. Yeah. So um, the reason that I did this report is um, like you. Um, I was getting so many cases um, from constituents um, during the COVID um, pandemic and it was just so many different types of cases in terms of how people were being impacted. Like I had a constituent whose business literally collapsed overnight and they've been running from 1983. I feel that there's been a lot of focus and discussion about how BAME individuals are, have been impacted by COVID but there's never, there's never really been, been any forward kind of recommendations. And I felt very strongly for me to be able to help my constituents, I kind of need to do an analysis in terms of finding out what the issues were. 
So the, the things that I looked at in my constituency are issues that are um, across like the whole of the, the country. It's not just me that's receiving these issues. But I looked at my constituency where um, in terms of like um, black, Asian, minority, ethnic, we have a population in area of Thamesmead which is a lot higher than the rest of the UK, mm-hmm. which is about 37%. Um, and also um, one of the things that I was looking at was I was getting um, so many cases where people were talking about their experiences. And so I remember asking a question to Matt Hancock in the chamber, asking them if, they were, if he was going to do a review, if the government was going to do a review, looking into one or two more protected characteristics. His answer to me, first of all, he was like, oh, good question, which was quite patronising. Um, like he wasn't, he wasn't expecting me to be able to articulate a question. But he was just like, well, we know that um, women um, and children aren't impacted by COVID. So I'm not going to do a report, essentially. But women and children are impacted by COVID. They not, may not be dying. Um, the mortality rates are higher amongst pain individuals. But when it comes to um, economic um, inequality, women have been impacted a lot more. Um, and I was, um, and children as well. If you look at what's happened with the A-level crisis, um, the chaos, the GCSEs, it has impacted young people. And also during the whole lockdown, you know, we had a lot of young people that weren't going to school and um, the educational um, like gap has widened in terms of inequalities. Mm. We've seen mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Um, and so, 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 I can ask, so I can ask with that, I think this is really interesting. So you've done this, you've had this response that doesn't reflect the whole response because COVID, you're right, is much more than who uh, goes into hospital and needs a long time recovering, much more yeah. than who is more likely to pass away. On this point about young people and the future in particular, because we've made a deliberate choice with the fire break in Wales we're having to prioritise schools and in particular primary schools, because we recognised the harm that was done during the lockdown was both their immediate mental health and well-being, but their future prospects. And I'm interested in the the analysis you've done in your constituency, whether you've been able to do uh, anything more about highlighting what that's likely to be without further intervention uh, on both, I guess, class and race as well. Yeah, so I did a survey um, in summer to um, all young children, so people under the age of 18. So we tend to focus on like parents or teachers or focus on people that are going to vote. And I felt very strongly that I needed to hear from the individuals that were receiving education to see how it was affecting them mentally. I also met with young people as well to talk to them about their experiences. And um, through the survey stats, so many people were saying it was impacting them mentally. They Mm. weren't able to study effectively. Um, We focus a lot on when I was speaking to teachers, you know, the government did an announcement where everybody, if they needed a laptop, they could get a laptop, but they weren't getting the laptops. There wasn't much focus being done on, on families that didn't have Wi-Fi, so they weren't able to get those materials. So what I did was I did a um, back-to-school summer campaign during the summer to try and help those individuals mentally. Um, and so I got, with support of Greenwich Council, they printed out some um, exercises that we gave to um, individuals on low economic kind of status so they got that kind of support um, I did outreach work with 
organisations that were doing stuff on the ground to support young people as well. So Peabody in Thamesmead trying to find out what kind of support they were doing. And they were providing like food um, services to those families. And they were helping me get out those kind of like um, exercises that I did. I also wanted to make it very inclusive. So it wasn't essentially me organising events that weren't going to be of interest to people. So I did a call out. I asked people what they wanted. I asked people if they had any ideas to kind of contribute to it. And I think that, you know, you have to work very closely with the community on that. In terms of long term, I've had conversations with um, organisations. And one of my biggest concerns here in, in London, particularly, is the suspension of free travel for under 18s. That is going to impact so many people across London, um, not just in my constituency. So my constituency covers both Bexley Borough and Greenwich Borough. Bexley is Conservative run and Greenwich is, is Labour run. I've seen how the Greenwich Labour run borough is trying to pull out all the stops to provide support to those individuals that are going to be impacted. And so they've been working with a child poverty action group. They've done a survey. Whereas in Bexley, they haven't actually done anything. And I've had so many emails from um, young people telling me that having that sort of like free travel helps them to get to school. You know, I had one constituent, for example, that wrote to me saying that him and his siblings are now going to have to choose between um, having food at lunchtime or um, essentially um, moving schools. It is affecting people mentally. These are things that I'm concerned about all the time. The suspension of free travel. Um, people that have gone to university as well. Um, I'm hearing about the mental side effects because they, they were sold a dream that you know, they'll have the best university experience and that's not the case. You know, I've been told by a constituent in Sheffield that within the first one week, 500 students um, like had COVID and then that's dropped up to 1,000. They're not getting their learning experience. Um, so yeah and then also job opportunities as well it's so difficult now to get work experience opportunities um, the way we are all working we're working remotely this Saturday the furlough scheme is going to be ending there's going to be about 12,000 in my constituents constituency that's going to be made redundant mm. they're going to be competing with the new entry level um, graduates or people leaving school and you know some of these people have a lot more experience employers are going to not want to gamble when shaping a, a young person. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested. So, anyway, just there's a point to make on the side. You mentioned the impact on food and people making choices between um, whether they can travel, whether they need to change school, or whether they can actually afford to, to eat at lunchtime. And, of course, the, the recent vote on whether to make provision for children entitled to preschool meals. Um, in Wales, again, one of those differences in having a Labour government. We've already made that call. So we don't need a Marcus Rashford uh, or a Gareth Bale to run a campaign here in Wales because our government has already made that choice to make that provision. Mm. So I'm interested in not just about the difference between Wales and England on that, but your perspective on having done the analysis on whether you think you're going to be able to make some gains because there's the point about not just the UK government uh, acting for England where they're a really big challenge they seem immune to lots of pressure but the two boroughs you talked about within the constituency and whether you're going to be able to do something with uh, the conservative leadership in one part of your constituency uh, based on the, uh, the findings you've already had and maybe after this we can go on to talk about uh, that broader economic impact as well. 
so in my constituency, when I did the analysis, it was about 3,759 students, that, um, children that um, will go hungry without the free school meals. Um, it's been very difficult to break it by borough by borough, if I'm going to be completely honest. I've had conversations with um, Greenwich um, Council. They're looking at how they can provide further support. But the situation <coughs> there is really, really difficult at the moment. As you probably know, councils have basically faced significant kind of like cuts to their budget and they've essentially been providing frontline services during COVID with little support from, from the government. And so um, I think it requires us all working collaboratively together, me with the local councillors, um, lobbying the government to kind of recognise this. Yesterday was pretty shameful, if I'm going to be honest, in the chamber, mm. where... Um, basically how the Conservatives voted down our motion and the stories and rhetorics they were kind of using. They just literally don't get it. Um, for me, I'm trying to identify, um, so like I mentioned, Peabody, which covers a Thamesmead kind of area, they already have been providing support um, and they're also doing an analysis in Thamesmead to identify, they've identified families that will be most at risk to see what kind of support they can provide. But my constituency doesn't just cover that part. There's the rest of the other part kind of support. So um, the food banks, been relying a lot on the food banks, but they're also really struggling as well. Um, quite a number of um, individuals that work in the food banks had to go and be shielded. You know, the shielding scheme has ended. But people, we need as many people to donate to the food banks as possible um, so that people can get the, the food that they need. From my perspective, I, what I have to do is I still have to keep lobbying the government on this, realistically, and seeing what my councils can do on a local level. But it's really difficult with the Tory side, the Bexley side, in terms of trying to engage with them, um, trying to get answers about what is going on. They're not very kind of direct with that, if I'm going to be completely honest. And most mm. of my constituency is in the Bexley side. Yeah. Oh, so tell me, I know you had comments about the in your own analysis about the economic impact we touched a bit on this at the start about the direct yeah. economic impact of covid so i'm interested not in how you see that in your constituency what that means not just for london but for other parts of england and the wider uk and understanding that economic impact and what you'd like to see in the future because the post-covid recovery isn't going to happen within a few months and there's a possibility to have a recovery where the overall figures for the country look like everything's fine again and yet that could well mask a further transfer of money wealth and power away from people who have the least yeah so on tuesday when i did my first um, um debut on the dispatch box i asked the government what they were doing to support um businesses under tier two because effectively um, they're still able to kind of operate, but they're not getting the support. But, you know, with the tier two measures, what has happened is basically, you know, um, you can't meet with your friends in restaurants, it has to be with people in, in your kind of bubbles, which has basically meant that the drive to people going to kind of restaurants or eating out has dropped substantially. And it's not just there, it's like hospitality, other areas of hospitality, hairdressers. And I think what we really need to do is, um, like the government really needs to provide support on that. Like the Chancellor did announce a range of measures, but I don't think it goes further enough. Um, and one of the things that I'm doing at the moment is I'm working with Community and Prospect 
it's a cross-party thing. Martin Lewis, money saver um, person is in it, involved in it. Where we're trying to do an analysis in terms of particularly self-employed individuals, seeing where um, surveys have gone out to find out what are the issues, where the gaps are, so we can feed that into the government in terms of re recommendations. But I think to your other point about the issues, I think we need to look at stuff on a regional kind of level. So the issues that um, locally may impact people in like London, so being aware that London, some parts of London is very different, like Irith and Thamesmead is very different to like Streatham, if I'm <coughs> going to be honest, and I've been harping on about that for quite a long time. But like, we need to start looking at stuff on the regional levels, I think, because I think for a very long time, we've always looked at things from a central kind of point of view and a very kind of London-centric kind of view. Um, we need to start doing, I think, analysis on, on a local level, um, just to find out what kind of support can be given. Councils in particular, I know are doing this already, looking at how they can operate in a very different way, working in partnership with voluntary organisations which I think is a really good way. And just before this meeting, I met with um, Bexley and Greenwich Hospice, um, who essentially get like about three million from the, the government, and then they, they have to make over five million from their own like fundraising. What they've been doing is they've been partnering up with other kind of like hospices to try and work collectively together to um, bring their resources together to try and deliver. And so that's what you're seeing with a lot of like charities and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I think does that answer your question? Yeah, and I think uh, it's it's interesting about how the broader economic impact and not just a contest about the support that the government needs to provide for jobs and incomes now, but what we choose to invest in in the future. And you know, we've in in, in Wales we've published um, some priorities for COVID recovery. We yeah. managed to cross some of our budget uh, to do that. But part mm. of our big, big challenge is that we've got to spend lots of time, effort, energy and money in the here and now to get through the crisis. And it's about the capacity to forecast into the future and then to deliberately choose to invest in areas that will deliver a benefit, not just to haves, but actually what we do about looking after people that would have lost out in a significant manner and what we're going to need to do. This this point about building back better, but what does that look like from a London point of view? And what do you think that tells us about other parts of the UK? Will there be a different local context? Because part of our challenge in Parliament about not trying to have a one-size-fits-all approach, not just for devolved governments, uh, in Wales, Scotland, Northern Ireland, but actually what that you think that might look like in other regions of England where there are lots of people like us who live outside London as well? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I think we also really need to look at investing is high streets, um, because I think high streets are um, disappearing quite a lot. And I think mm -hmm. that it's, um, COVID has impacted a lot where I think it's great people are doing stuff um, in terms of going online shopping, but we're seeing... I'm seeing loads of shops and businesses closed down and we really need to think about um, how we can get those high streets back because a lot of people, particularly when they're moving to different areas, they look at to see what is around them in terms of high streets and stuff like that. And I think it's really important that we invest um, locally in that. It was something that we were actually about to start doing through my role on the Housing and Community Select Committee, thinking about forward post-COVID how we can get the economy up and running, where are the areas that we need to look at how we can 
make sure that we can have a strong economy and that was like looking at how we can invest in high streets and making sure that we can do a proper analysis i think the work i think we really need to look at after christmas what has happened because christmas will be the key in terms of where people will go in terms of shopping and stuff and generally in terms of how we we can look at high streets but we also need to look at how we can do things really different in terms of like or providing high streets kind of opportunities um, I think also another thing that in terms of a, the economy as well is, is about like um, a lot of like rental places, place businesses, kind of rent spaces. There's been discussion about what we should do, be doing with those units when since a lot of businesses aren't kind of renting because they don't have the finances to do that. Um, seeing whether it could be used, alternative spaces could be used for other things such as help providing securing housing or support for those individuals. But um, I don't think it's as simple as, as, as that. Um, in terms of looking at the economy as well, I think we also need to be, and I think there's been a lot of discussion about this, having a greener kind of economy. I think there's um, a massive drive in terms of like looking at the future of our economy, how we're going to do it post-COVID, COVID, making sure that we look at it from a green kind of like element of that. But my thing is, what does a green economy mean? Like my interpretation is very probably very different to yours. We need to get a consensus as to what our, I think particularly in the party, what 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 we mean by that, and also businesses. Because when I met with UK Finance um, over a month ago, just talking about what they were doing, um, they said to uh, said to me they were looking at like trying to do like a greener kind of like COVID kind of like post COVID like in terms of their finance. And I was like, but what does that even mean? Do you actually have terms? And they were like, no but we're trying to just do things in a green And they, they were like, it's a good point. Mm-hmm. And I've seen a lot of organizations, businesses talk about that in terms of like moving forward in, in the economy. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Um... I guess there's, there's, there's a couple of things from that. We, there's, there's also a question to bring in as well. Uh, Joshua asked a question about affirmative action uh, to address issues of institutional racism that broadly sidelined BAME communities per, to periphery jobs. 
that left them exposed during COVID. That point about the the less secure the job, uh, the less protection that's offered, and in the times of the crisis, that's had a real impact. And I guess it goes back into your point about high streets, and in other parts of um, the UK, you talk about towns and town centres uh, and the high streets that run through them. And there's a big challenge in lots of our communities. In Wales, we we have already. Uh, look to have a town centre first approach on a range of things. So that's about business space for people to rent. It's about housing projects. It's also including things in the health field where you know that lots of health facilities uh, oh. generate lots of footfalls. So if we're generating uh, new primary care centres, a doctor's surgery linked with something else that the local council runs, if we put that on the edge of town, that'll have an impact just as it would do if we chose to locate that in or near the centre of town. So there are some practical choices. And then what do we do to try to make sure that we don't simply see uh, jobs that we, that people that look like us would do ending up on the periphery of that economic action? And then we'll move on to uh, Liz's question afterwards about uh, regional power, which is all very topical and not just in the north of England. Yep. Okay, um, in relation to Joshua's question, is there any affirmative action being made? Um, so I'd say that um, I say that the rise of the Black Lives Matter movement has created a massive kind of awareness. I think we're seeing a lot of businesses, I saw a lot of businesses putting black screens on or kneeling, but, um, I've, like, but it's beyond those kind of gestures. I think there's been a lot of talk, but it's really about what's been implemented in workplaces. With the emails that I've received from quite a number of constituents of mine, actually, that are from same backgrounds, things have not improved. Um, things are really, really tough. They're facing discrimination. And I can give you an example, particularly of like um, every doctor who I've been working with, where we've been looking at the impact of... Um, um, discrimination against um, NHS workers where a lot of them have been made to work in unsafe situation, COVID hot, hot wards in comparison to their white counterparts. Um, and this is what I think we are seeing happening where the job with furlough scheme ending and jobs being unsecure, people are being pressured and felt like they don't really have any choice. Um, one of the things that I've been trying to do is I've actually been trying to get the government to kind of recognise that these issues exist. I think that um, we do need a race equality strategy. Um, I do think that um, with regards to addressing a lot of these issues, if I'm going to be honest, a lot of these um, individuals are massively ingrained. And I've been looking at it from a different perspective of starting from when people are really young. So actually working closely with schools and actually quite a lot of schools have actually proactively been trying to address these kind of like issues. And um, I worked with um, the Black Hat um, campaign in my constituency to get a number of schools to stop um, teaching that in schools. And for those, those who don't know it, it's essentially like different hats and um, the, the colour black seen as there's negative connotations with it so mm. kids were essentially from a younger age are essentially seeing black as a negative thing so I've been starting it from like an educational kind of point of view I've also been saying to people in workplaces particularly white people that you know BAME individuals need white allies they should also be speaking about it and I've been encouraging people specifically 
that work in the public sector to um, kind of like um, sign up and become members of the union because I think it's really important. I think the difficulty is that a lot of it is very difficult to see now where a lot of, with some individuals, they're working remotely from home. So it's very difficult for people to see the institutional racism or discrimination that they're facing in, in the workplace. But um, these are things that I think that could be done at a, a local level. Um, but one of the things that I've also been highlighting is basically at a national level, how things need to change. Um, I think one thing that would be really good is, and I know that councils are under a lot of pressure, is if they do their own audit to see... Um, what is going on particularly with um, organisations that they provide support to or provide finances to make sure that they are um, operating in an inclusive way because I think that, you know, that's really good. And I have seen, that, you know, with some local councils, they have started to do that. I think Southwark was, they did an equalities um, um, charter or some diversity charter or something like that. Mm. Um, and of course, the point about a lack of a, race equality strategy is one of the things that Simon Woolley, now Lord Woolley, uh, was talking about recently uh, and about his experience of seeing that uh, supposed commitment to Theresa May's government disappearing rapidly uh, when it came to the change of administration. So even between parties, within parties, a change of leadership really can make a very practical difference for us as well. Um, we got a question from uh, and I should say, actually, in your point about um, the health service and whether people are asked to do more risky work, despite the obvious risks uh, for black and Asian communities, it's been interesting that we have done risk assessment work in Wales. And it wasn't just that we have had that work done. That was led by uh, Professor Keshav Singhal, who is a consultant surgeon in our National Health Service, one of our leading uh, Welsh Indian uh, members of the health service and working with a range of other people who themselves would have been directly affected and that's been welcomed not just within health and social care but a range of other public sector and other private sector organizations looking to see how they can actually use that risk assessment tool uh, in a way of objectively understanding what the risks are for their workforce and how they then use that uh, to move them into areas that protect them without looking to disadvantage them as well so uh, uh, not just in this area, but I think there are good things we're doing in Wales that others might be interested in. True to Liz's question about regional solutions, and I think Mariana has also got some questions. Um, Liz's question about regional solutions uh, and enabling or empowering regional government rather than dictating from Westminster to local and regional government. And this is obviously we're seeing lots in the press about Andy Burnham and uh, Greater Manchester falling out. Uh, but also in London, uh, the issues around transport for London. Uh, yeah. And so I'm really interested in, in your take on whether you think this is a deliberate attempt at centralising or whether, as does sometimes happen in politics, this is proper cock-up rather than conspiracy. But in any event, what you think the prospects are, particularly with those Conservatives around the country who see some of these regional power bases as things they've got a stake in, and whether you think we're going to see a change in Parliament or not. I think that um, part of it's just, I'd say, I, I, from a personal perspective, I think it's an element of the government creating chaos. And ultimately, I think um, when they feel they can, they will pass back to local authorities um, saying that they'll provide all the support they can, but they don't provide the support. So I wanted to give you an example of like um, where essentially um, 
Barkin and Dagenham in particular um, were going around providing, um, trying to basically encourage people to kind of wear masks and trying to kind of like um, put that through. Um, I don't know in detail how it happened, but they received, um, a co- they were contacted by um, someone from the government, civil, one of the civil servants contacted them to basically tell the government, to tell the council um, not to do that because it was like, they were getting complaints from businesses about that. And it's just like, well, if you are asking local authorities to put measures in place to make sure that the areas are safe or encouraging, um, asking them to take responsibility for um, making sure people follow like the Canova virus kind of act, the messaging has to be consistent and it's not consistent with the government. Um, With the whole thing about um, regional government, I think what Andy Burnham has done, I think it, it was very courageous of him to say that because realistically the government did not present a good deal but they've tried to spin it in a way that he's basically put people's lives at risk. But um, if he didn't do that, I think that he would have been the one that would have been blamed for all these issues that are happening. I mean, if you look at what's happening with TfL, um, the, the money has been depleted from, from the government. We are now going to be seeing not only the suspension of free travel for under um, 18s, but we're also going to be seeing it's in, impacting older people as well, who normally get like free travel. And um, we have to be seen as putting up a fight. I think it's wrong that the government is dictating to us, um, regional um, boroughs, how to do things. But I have to be, I feel from a personal perspective, a lot of it is politics. You know, they're not going to work with the London Labour mayor because they don't want the London Labour mayor to win the election next year. And I think that's the whole load of it. I know that he has not been invited or consulted in a lot of the decisions that the government has been making announcements in the run up to the um, changes of the tier system to tier two. He wasn't really involved in the discussions of, of that. And I think it's really important that particularly with the mayor who has huge responsibilities in terms of running transport, you know, making sure the transport in London runs smoothly, that he's properly engaged. So I do like the idea of local councils having more power to deliver on things, but to be able to do it, they need the money, they need the finances, they need the support to be able to do that. I don't want them to have all the power and not be able to deliver the services with no finances. It has to go hand in hand. And also, like, you do need the government to implement the policies, the legislation for local authorities to be able to carry out things or enforce things. But they need to listen to local authorities. I think this goes back to your point you made earlier about the fact that local government has seen its budget reduced, in England in particular, uh, more than 10 years of cuts, uh, and the core funding for local authority has been bled away to a very small amount. And whilst we've had our own difficulties in dealing with... uh, the deliberate choices around austerity local government in wales has got a much better deal and it's one of the things that even when things get bad here uh, local authority leaders wouldn't swap their position for their comrades leading local authorities in england and they regularly point out to us that even the conservative leader of the local government association uh, isn't a big fan of the government's approach to funding local government in england Uh, and i think this there's something quite interesting here from my perspective. I mean, the Financial Times, which isn't normally a paper that I would expect to be broadly positive about a Welsh Labour-led administration, it did a recent long read, came out yesterday online in print today, 
about some of the changes in devolution and the recognition that there are different powers in different countries and different regions within England. And there appears to be a lack of sort of foresight or understanding of that different share of power has meant you can't run the COVID pandemic as a central enterprise from Downing Street. Uh, and the way that engagement has worked has been sporadic and not in a way that's been predictable. And I think that's lessened the impact that we could have. And to me, I think there's an element of both cock-up and conspiracy here. I don't think it is all just a matter of it's a great deliberate plot. I think every now and again, that gives too much credit uh, to what's being done. There have definitely been things where there just hasn't been thought given uh, to what's going to need to be done and who you actually need to have on board to do that. Uh, and for me, that's why I think the, the attack on the competence of the current government is really important. Yeah. And again, for people that look like us, having more of our faces being part of that public conversation, I think is really important because so many of the people who are shamefully out of their depth um, have been the traditional people in politics, the people that politics has always been set up to look after. Um, so I think that there, there may be something good that comes out of this, although it's certainly not evenly spread. From my point of view, you wouldn't have thought that the first person to represent a Welsh constituency would have been born in Zambia in 1974. <coughs> my journey to here is unusual as well. So my family moved from Zambia in 1976 when I was two, so I didn't have much choice about it. Uh, we settled by accident in West Dorset, where we were hugely visible. Uh, my father, who was white, was uh, a local vet. And, you know, being, you know, one of the vet's kids would make you pretty visible in a rural community anyway. But when you look like me and my brothers and my sister, it was pretty easy to spot who we were. Um, we were the only non-white children in our primary school and always at least half of the non-white children in our high school. So we went through the first part of life and politics wasn't really what I wanted to do for a very long time. I wanted to be a cricketer or a singer or a lawyer. I did go on to be a lawyer. I was a solicitor for nearly 10 years before I got elected. But um, I got more interested in politics as I actually started reading the front pages of the newspapers I delivered and not just the back ones. And so I joined the Labour Party in 1991, but I joined because I wanted to get involved uh, to help deliver a Labour government because I decided by then that the Labour Party was the most likely to change the country and deliberately change it for the better. And so my first election was 1992. And I remember the crushing disappointment of losing and seeing what it means to lose and to see power surrendered to an entirely different sort of politics. And we're living through that period of time across the UK as well. In Wales, we're fortunate to have uh, a devolved national government able to make a range of choices. Now, but my journey to here was, again, accidental. I came to university in Wales to study law. I became a lawyer. I stayed and I got more involved in the trade union co-op and the labor movement. And now that I'm here, I again ran in the seat that I'd lived in for a period of time. But it's difficult to get here. And one of the things that I think is really important is we help each other so there are more people like us who are in a realistic position to be selected. And that's some of the work we've been doing in Wales. And Stuart Oadali, one of the members of staff, has been really positive about doing this as well and about making sure we've got a future candidates program. We've run a range of different Zoom events uh, for people even during uh, the COVID pandemic. We've got more people on our future candidates program who are black and Asian origin as well. So we're deliberately increasing the pool of people who could really run. 
But it's also then, you know, think about the points made about the confidence you need to build and about telling people that actually you can do it. You absolutely are good enough, but it's about more than that. It's about helping you to understand once you have that belief, what you still need to do to get there. Because you need uh, networks, you need people who support you, people who will be honest with you. And you then need to go and do some of the work yourself as well, because no one is going to roll up and give this to us. And so that's where I think we could and should be. And events like this are only part of doing more of this. So more of us, the country we look like, should be the party that we look like and how our elected representatives go on to do their job on our behalf.